Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. are in my apartment and we are all vaxxed and yes. we feel good about that and this is the first time that Caitlin and I have done a pod with another human being in the same room for really definitely a long time yeah we've done some just the two of us but not any oh, with a guest special. and I'm so yes. delighted that you are yes. our guest oh, you are you. our first in threesome person. Pod. No, 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 no. That's not how we're starting the podcast. But that's what I, I did it uh, in, in-house with Venus, and I did one with Pete Wentz, but this is the first three-people panel. Mm-hmm. Great. Three it's people my first threesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is starting so well. <laughs> starting so well. Uh, Vanya King, welcome to the Racket Magazine podcast. It's so nice to see you again. You and I have met you, uh, yes. before mm-hmm. uh, for a WTA event in which we talked about some of your work we're going to get into, yeah. but you and Renee actually have a bit of a career history together uh, yeah. and that might be as good a place to start talking as any. I played with Renee a couple of times and we got together because of uh, a mutual coach that we both worked with, Ray Ruffles. I still consider him as one of the best coaches in the world. Um, you know, He really developed the foundation of my all-court game um, and and definitely in double and because of that I would say I would not have had the successes that I had in doubles without his influence. So he also, you know, really pushed for me to play with great partners and Renee was the best partner that I had ever played with up to that point and probably up to, you know, this point. Um, and I had actually looked up to you a lot, you know, prior to playing with you. So I was slightly intimidated um, <laughs> because I had heard that you were tough. But um, when I played with you, I felt like you were really nice to me. Oh, that's and... uh, that, that, that I'm happy with. <laughs> I remember you gave me a lot of information. So, for example, we were playing, I remember we played against uh, Lisa, Lisa Raymond and Sam Stozer. And it may have been my first time playing against them, but definitely my first time playing against them together. And you had known them, obviously, for years, especially Lisa for years. And I remember you telling me, okay, if Lisa hits a low backhand volley, I want you to stay, or across, or if a high backhand volley, then I want you to stay, it was like the opposite, and then if you have a forehand, if it's low, I want you to cross, and then if it's high, I want you to stay, and I'm like, yeah, I just said yes the whole time, and in my head, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, just 
do one or the other. So I either just stayed just or crossed, one. and you never yelled at me. So I was like, okay, at least I did it okay enough that she, she didn't yell at me. <laughs> so <laughs> you gave me so much information, but it was it was amazing because like you really set the stage for me to learn how to play, like how to be professional and how to make decisions and be strategic at the highest level. Um, and so I learned so much from you. And so was, I'm yeah. going to let Renee tell me her version of events, which does not in any way conflict with that. And she had nothing <laughs> glowing, glowing reports to say about how you guys met. But I just want to note, this was, you were still in your teens yeah. when you're describing this tournament. Yeah. And it was your first tournament with 17. Renee. 17. Yeah. And you guys made it to the finals, in which yeah. you lost 7-5 in the third to a very, very hot, established team. Of... We lost to Lisa and Sam in Damn the final. It. I that thought we won. Final. No, we beat, we lost to them in the final, 7-5 oh, in the third. Oh, we beat we beat Shang the yeah. Jan, who were the number one seed. Yeah. yeah, you had a fantastic run out the gate. Um, and Yeah, and it was the, one of the biggest events outside of slams at yeah. that time. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, it was my biggest result to date. That's, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah, you you tell me what you told me the other day. Well, it's a funny story. I love telling this story because it tells me a lot about Vanya. But, um, but a true story. So Ray Ruffles, who Vanya is talking about, was also my coach back in the day. Um, we weren't working together at the time because he was working for the USTA and helping great young players like Vanya. And so I had come off of playing with Lisa, um, and I was kind of partnerless. I was sort of playing with random people, and Ray Ruffles uh, came up to me in Sydney in the parking lot, and he said, Grubs, he used to call me Grubs, he's like, Grubs, you got to play with my player. And I was like, what, who? And he's like, this, this young player I've got, Vanya King, she's good, she's good. And I was like, okay, Ray, she's like a baby, and <laughs> no offense, but she's like, how can a five-foot, like, four little... <laughs> Junior would be a great doubles player. And he was literally like touting Vanya, like, no, she's good. I promise you, she's a great little doubles player. And I was like, okay. So finally, I'm like, all right, Ray, I'll play. So I get to Tokyo, and I have never really even seen Vanya play at all. I don't you even had ever see another seen... partner, and it was like a last minute thing. It was a last minute thing, yeah. and I'd never seen Vanya hit the ball. And uh, so we go to the practice court, and I said, oh, this is going to be interesting. You know, let's see how <laughs> correct Ray is about this, right? So I remember. As soon as we started hitting and I got to the net, Vanya started dipping the ball at my feet, hitting these lobs, really knew how to change the pace of the ball. And it reminded me a lot of someone like a Martina Hingis, who didn't have a big game, who never had a big serve, and Vanya fit exactly into that like demographic of a player. No big weapon, but my God, she totally understood where to hit the ball, how hard to hit the ball, when to hit a lob, when to go for it, when to poach and so straight away after the practice session I looked at Ruff and I go oh I see it I see I see Uh you know actually Ruff wasn't there um you were there with your mom but I remember thinking right away like ah I get it I get it so we got onto the court and as Vanya said anything I told her she was willing to do (laughs) obviously didn't know that she was petrified to not (laughs) sounds like she didn't but (laughs) we just we had a blast it was like I was playing with my kid daughter I mean I was like I don't know how old I was at the time it's probably like 33 or something like that but but it was great because she was just so willing to learn and then obviously subsequently from that moment on Vanya did quite well quite well that was like the catalyst to me doing well in doubles well I mean I'm, I'm glad that you think that but I'm, I think your talent took you to where you needed to go but um, yeah it sounds like you maybe would have gotten there anyway but you you know I don't know I'm, I'm sitting here looking at a two-time grand slam Winner, multiple Grand Slam finals, quarterfinals. You you had a fantastic, fantastic career that oh, has just 
officially come to an official end a month ago. So it is yeah. really fun to be able to sit with you a month in. I think it's exactly a month you were announced your retirement after how many years on the tour? Uh, 15, I would say officially about 15. But I mean, obviously we played pro tournaments before. Yeah. I played pro tournaments before I turned pro. And now that we're catching you a month into your your retirement, what what how has the last month gone for you? Are you sort of slowly transitioning into a life of leisure, or like what? Um, bring us into the day to day. I think I quickly <laughs> ran into or walked into the life of leisure. It's definitely less stressful, uh, but I've been injured a lot over the past four or five years. So I would say in the past five years, I've only played about two because of injuries. So that was, um, it gave me, one, it gave me a lot of time off court to kind of figure out what I enjoyed or trying to look for things that might be fulfilling after tennis. Um, But it also made tennis very stressful because, you know, I kept trying to come back from injuries and especially I had surgery a few years ago and ever since my surgery, um, never, never recovered. So Mm -hmm. Uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally, it was all kind of a wreck for a while because I just got to the point where I realized I wasn't good enough, which is not kind of a pleasant admission. Um, and But at the same time, because I had that time off, I realized that there's things outside of tennis that I really enjoyed. And, you know, like, well, we, we all know that to be there, you have to sacrifice everything for tennis. And now... I wasn't willing to sacrifice, you know, everything else for tennis. I I wanted to do other things, and I wanted to sacrifice tennis for it. So it also gave yeah. me well. I mean, you know, I think after life. 15 years, it's only fair to sort of say like, okay, I'm gonna. If you can't compete in the level that you feel like you want to give it, yeah. And you've been very outspoken and very impactful, I would say, um, in a couple of different ways, but especially your your work with serving up hope. Tell us about that because when we first met, this was already I could tell something that had sort of captured your heart and your imagination yeah. and, you know, involves a lot of travel and, and seems to involve a lot of yourself, which I think yeah. is really cool. It's not just you putting your name on something. It's you're, you're getting your hands dirty. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, I've always been interested in the nonprofit sector. I think that, um, when I was on tour, it is very lonely and it's, um, you know, a very selfish kind of life. You know, you have to put yourself first all the time. Well, don't and... worry. We mentioned that a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. How I mean, selfish everybody is. I mean, for the, well, the time. Well, don't and... worry. We mentioned that a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. How I mean, selfish everybody is. I mean, for the well, every waking moment is to optimize your performance. So you just can't think about anybody else or anything else. And it's also difficult, you know, that you can't really empathize with other people or connect with other people in um, a positive way. So for me, uh, giving back... Obviously, I loved that feeling. I mean, I love being able to help other people, but it also helped me from a mental health standpoint. Mm. Um, so, in what in, way? In that, um, for example, like with self-esteem, that you know, I had value. I mean, ironically, even if we are great players, you know, I felt like, and I think a lot of other players, even the top players, really struggled with self-esteem. And I think it's also just part of that lifestyle. If you ever say, "I'm fine. I'm good enough. I'm complacent." then, you know, you're kind of done because there's always somebody gunning, you know, always someone pushing really hard. You always have to really be super motivated to have something else to do. You can't ever say, I'm good. You know, you can't sit back and relax. So I feel like just that, and then combined with the fact that every week we're playing a tournament and unless you win every tournament, you're losing every week. So, you know, your self-confidence takes a blow. So, you know, 
when you win a match, you're like on top of the world and you lose a match, you're just like, everything is, sucks. Um, yeah, and combine and, that with long flights. Yeah, and then not isolation. having a support system. And, yeah, you know, and if you don't have someone there that really loves you and yeah. you know, it gives you that immediate feedback of like, it's okay, yeah. you oh constantly gosh. are like questioning yourself as a person. And yeah. it's a, I mean, you know, I, I, I always say that sports, well, playing professional sports is like, um, you know, legal addiction, right? <laughs> Where you're yeah. so high and yeah. yet so low. Yeah. And it's really hard to find the middle because the middle, yeah. as you said, is complacency. Yeah. And that doesn't and work. You can't really have that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to ask my sister, you know, we've all had, well, I don't know. I've had these moments where I just break down for one reason or another. You know, I'm training for a season and I just don't feel like I'm good enough or, you know, I'm not, prep, not prepared enough. And then I call my sister and, and I'd be like, what if I do bad? Are you going to still love me? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, now I look back and I'm like, wow, I was childish. But no, in the moment, I've just, you know, my self-confidence, like our self-confidence is so fragile, um, being athletes and, and because it's so externally performance-based, you know, that it's, it, it, one day it can be great and one day, you know, it can be terrible. So, um, and yeah, going back to the nonprofit, it really gave me some stability that, okay, one, the work that I'm doing is consistent, that it, you know, can continue to help people and that's consistent. Uh, but also, you know, providing a little bit of validation for myself that, hey, I'm making a difference. I'm making a difference, and I'm, I have value as a person in myself, you know, and that if even if my on-court um, self-esteem can be at zero, you know, I still have this off-court self-esteem that can be consistent. So um, when we met a couple of years ago, I hadn't actually officially started my nonprofit in terms of like getting it as a tax-exempt organization because just after we saw each other, so we saw each other in the end of 2019 mm-hmm. at US Open. Mm-hmm. So actually, the end of 2019, I started the process of really organizing us from a legal standpoint, and then early last year, has it been, I mean, it feels like much longer, mm-hmm. uh, finally became our own uh, 501c3 tax-exempt organization, and I went to Uganda and... Uh, established our program there so we work in a slum community when we had seen each other I had gone there and I had connected with a legal aid NGO and that's how I got in touch with Uganda Um, and actually the reason why I got in touch with the legal aid NGO is because I had gone to Africa a few times uh, because I love wildlife and so anyways it was a very serendipitous you know circuitous route to getting there Um, but yeah I, I went to Uganda last year established our nonprofit program there. Um, at the same time, connected with a former player from Chile, Hans Podlipnik. I don't know if you guys remember I him. I know the name, yeah. Yeah, so he retired last year and he had a foundation in Chile that was also working in the slum community in Santiago. Um, and coincidentally, he also went to Uganda, so we connected that way. Um, and his mission with his foundation in Santiago was the same as serving a Pope's mission. So we basically took that program under our umbrella later last year. So now we work in both areas, so uh, cool. both countries. Yeah. And we actually are starting our domestic, our first domestic program in LA because I'm so cal at heart, even though I've trained in Florida for the past 10, 12 years. But I'm always, I always feel like a Californian. So <laughs> we're starting our first program uh, domestically in LA with our partnership with the YMCA Metropolitan LA. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. When? In July. Oh, can we? Yeah, come? yeah, of course. And do like cover it and yeah. commentate oh. and do some stuff. 
Sure. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That's totally on mission for us. Oh, that would be... Since it's our first domestic program, I was try- I'm trying to start slowly, you know, really get that one established first, but... Good point. They have, me- <laughs> they have mentioned, and I would, all- I would love, obviously, to be able to grow that, uh, the domestic program, to-, to other branches and have a stronger relationship with and them. And we're about developing youth. It's about yeah. getting rackets instruction yeah access yeah and participation among kids right yeah. that's the unifying principle what's the age yeah. group that you're looking at mostly um right now overseas we well the the santiago program works it's basically under 18 because they have kids as young as two all the way up to like a college pathway okay. but the bulk of the kids i would say are between six and 12 years old cool yeah good um and Yes, definitely focusing on kids, especially in our international programs, because um, you know there's little to no infrastructure there. Life is very different. Um, yep. They have much, much less than kids do in first world countries. Um, you know, on a day to day basis, when I first went there, you know, I I felt bad, you know, and it was just me being a foreigner with my lens of judgment, like, oh, you know, you should have what I have. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, they're they're happy. You know, that's the life that, that they're used to, and it's fine. However, the challenge there is um, there's no safety net, especially, like, from a healthcare standpoint. So if anything happens, you know, there's no one to go to. You know, they can't go to the police because it's very corrupt. If they get sick, you know, if they get malaria, which is very, very common, you know, 50% of kids get malaria. I mean, mortality rates of that is, you know, 15 20%. So um, things that would happen here, you know, that are very common and would not be life-threatening over there are. And then secondly, why I feel like it's very important for us to be there and work with kids is that um, there is a lot of corruption and uh, there's not a lot of opportunity for most people. You know, 99.9% live on less than a dollar a month. Uh, Whereas, you you know, less than 1% of the population have hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars Mm -hmm. so the discrepancy there is incredibly high and I feel like and it's so cliche but you know the older generation is kind of set in their ways you know in this survivalist mentality and I I really feel like educating the youth is the only way forward for for any society to grow and progress you Mm -hmm. know to to try to open the minds of the young young people again sounds so cliche but um give them a chance yeah, exactly. Well, I, you know, I think about it. opportunity to see that there's more than just surviving, that they can do something, they can make a difference, you know? Yeah. I, I think for me, thinking a lot about mission and tennis in particular really benefits from us opening it up, opening up the doors, mm-hmm. making the tent bigger, yeah. making it not necessarily only about a group of stars at the very top earning all the money in a professional context, even. Yeah. It's can we make this sport accessible? So that it becomes like soccer is played mm-hmm. in backyards and alleys and empty yeah. fields. Because tennis really, truly shouldn't have these barriers. You don't have yeah. to have a country club yeah. to be able to enjoy this sport. And what I like so much about this sport is it shows you people from literally every part of the world, every gender, every nation. There, yeah. There's stories of a lot of rich kids in tennis, but there's also stories of a lot of not rich kids in tennis. Yeah. And 
what I like about it so much is you can see yourself in the tour in a way that you can't, you don't necessarily do if you're, you know, watching another sport. Yeah. You know, and so to me, tennis really does have this opportunity, whatever it is, whether it's yeah. youth playing more or reaching or just showing and getting kids participating and feeling good about themselves. Yeah. I mean, tennis also, there's so many components involved with tennis that I feel like it's, I mean, I'm sure studies would show that it's like one of the most. Um, technically complex and physically complex sports so it does benefit you in all those ways of course in addition to the social benefits and um, you know the the opportunities that it might provide and I did read an article recently I feel like it's an exaggeration or I also feel like being on tour has stressed me out so much that I've lost years of my life but it said that (laughs) it said that playing tennis um and it, it really made the connection from the social aspect, but playing tennis apparently gains you like yeah, it just for like nine years, and yeah. I was like, nine years sounds like a lot. Well, you're thinking um, nine. It took nine years off of my life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, good yeah. news. You're back. You're break even. Yeah. Exactly. Break-even. I'm back. Yeah. Break-even. So I mean, I also did well in my undergrad. I studied. Um, well, I started psychology, but I did like an exercise physiology class, and I remember them saying that you know moderate exercise. It's like a bell curve. So moderate exercise. Uh, increases your lifespan and your health and then obviously excessive exercise then you go back down to the the bottom of the bell curve and I'm like oh great you know Mm -hmm. how far down (laughs) how many years or how has this impacted our health not as many steps yet I don't think no probably not although I'm (laughs) I'm doing a lot less these days so I'm really happy about that Um, so my bell curve is rising with the amount of alcohol I'm drinking but um, (laughs) but um, so like I love what you're doing now. Your mission, it's so typical of someone like you who's like beyond educated or has always been one of the smarter tennis players out there that I could actually have a conversation with. But let's go back to the yeah. start of why tennis for you Yeah. and how you got into it. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm in New York visiting my brother and my brother is the start of it all. Hmm. So my brother is eight years older and uh, he, at nine years old, was very naughty in school he would get like I think he had a record of forty pink slips in a week. Wow! So he was just he a was, little shit. Yes, yes, he was. Um, I never got a pink slip in my life in my edu- in my elementary, you know, career. Um, so I was very different from him. I was I was obedient, and uh, so his teacher told my parents, "Okay, you need he's got a ton of energy. You need to put him into a sport or you know into different activities." So they took that to heart. You know, Asians are very you know obedient so they so put him into a sport and so they let him choose um my dad wanted him to do an individual sport because you know my my dad was very much into okay how can my kids become successful and and he felt like an individual sport you have more control over your destiny and so yeah. we grew up in Long Beach and he went to um Long Beach City College and there was a tournament going on like they passed by these courts and Janet Lee was playing as a junior and so Janet was a Taiwanese American. She was top hundred, I yeah. think. Yeah, she, she, she did really, age. Yeah, and she yeah. did really well in doubles as well. I think mm-hmm. top twenty or okay, not to Renee's standard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Janet. Um, Don't miss Janet. <laughs> not a Grand Slam champion, yeah. or maybe she was. I don't know. No, no? Oh, okay. Not. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she was also very impactful. Just as you know, Michael Ching like really yeah. mobilized the Asian American community to play tennis. Um, Janet, to a smaller degree, you know, really mobilized the Taiwanese-American community. Um, so my brother saw her. And, you know, you see somebody that's like you. and sure. See um, it, be it. Yeah, see he chose, it yeah. to be it. 
Mm-hmm. And so he chose tennis, and then he also, they enrolled him into piano, so he's also a good pianist. Um, and then my parents didn't have a lot of money. Like, honestly, we were pretty poor when we were growing up. So it wasn't like we had a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things. And my, my parents, by the time I came along, um, did enroll us into different classes. But in terms of, you know, focusing on one sport, it is very expensive the more you get involved in, in any activity. So we just followed him. I remember, um, so I have two sisters. So it's my brother, my two sisters, who are twins. They're two and a half years older than me, and then me. So my sisters and I, just the three of us, were like little triplets following my brother. And my brother was a really good junior. And we were known as Philip King's little sisters for uh-huh. so long. Um, and yeah, that was our claim to fame, you know, because my brother was, he actually was super talented. He was the number one junior in the U.S. when he was 17, 18. He won Kalamazoo twice. That's insane. And he was yeah. an All-American at Duke. I mean, yeah. He was a legit yeah. college. I mean, yeah. I only got to college, but like, for no, my, was, in my yeah. world, that's, his, that's he, amazing. He was a, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but I think that college hurt his tennis. Mm, yeah. Um, I think he may have wanted to get away from California. Like, What's he away. doing now? He's a trader. So he's doing plenty fine now. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, he's doing He's doing very fine. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe um, not the wrong decision. Yeah, no, I mean, j- for tennis-wise, I think that, like, I think he really enjoyed the team aspect. Mm-hmm. But, you know, being the number one prospect, it's hard to find... Um, yeah, competition. Yeah, it's hard honestly. to find yeah. a college that will really nurture one person's talent, you know, and, and that's not what it's there for. So, right. but I know he really loved being at Duke. He did his MBA there as well. Um, so, anyways, long story short, sorry, went on a tangent as I typically do. Um, but I started because of my brother. And you saw him, and you were excited, and you got into yeah. it. And so, does that mean your sisters played as yes, well? Yes. So my sisters, um, they were. It's nationally ranked, so uh, both, I think, top 50 in the country. Wow, yeah. My Ivana went to Princeton, and then Mindy went to Penn. That's so they're all dumb. smart cookies. Yes, they're, they're all very smart cookies. So take me back to the period of time where you started to be pro and playing. And Do you remember like the one match where you were like, oh, yeah, I'm actually can, I can do this for a living. I can, I'm, I'm a player, other than playing with me in Tokyo. <laughs> Was there a time where you, where you realized that I can actually play with – with the big guns out here? Um, yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, my results... So I didn't turn pro until I was 70 in the world. Um, so I actually did not want to play. I Why was that? College. Did you want to go to college? I wanted to go to college. Um, this is a great lesson for people, though, Vanya, to hear. Yes. I mean, I don't regret any of the decisions. You know, So actually, I was committed to Stanford. And, of course. Um, Sure. In that off, like that gap year, um, I got a wild card when I was 16 years old. I got a wild card into the qualifying of the U.S. Open. I qualified. I, I played every match, three set match. I was just again like the girl you saw me, just like fighting super hard, you know, grinding. At that time, um, my dad had changed my backhand, and my backhand over my the course of my career has was, been very solid. Yeah. But I had no backhand. <laughs> I only sliced and lobbed. That's it. And I sliced and lobbed and tried to run around every forehand, and if I could, and just fought as hard and as yet I could. You got you battled through qualies in your yeah. first slam, made it to the main draw. That's yeah, incredible. and I won the first round against Clara at the time. She was Kukalova, and then I think she became Zakalova, then she went back to Kukalova. Yes. Clara is actually also very instrumental in my career because um, at the time there were quality points, 
And oh, so, so when you beat yeah, her, you so got I beat her, Yeah, I went from like 800 to, or let's say 900 to 250, which is a huge yeah, jump, yeah. you know, in one tournament. And prior to that moment, I mean, I was committed to Stanford. I was like, for sure, I'm going to college. You know, I couldn't get into big events. I was just playing some futures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then because my ranking was good, then I started getting into like challenger events. So I finished that year playing challenger events, ranked about 160. Um, and then by Indian Wells, by March, I was top 100. And then by June, um, I was 70. So I remember having a call with my parents. Um, so actually, I was coached by my dad. And uh, at French Open, so I was I was doing well with him, but I also really hated playing because my dad was really hard on me and my sisters. Um, but he decided when I was about 13 that I was going to be the one that was going to make it. So he focused all of his attention on me. Which also I recognized later that was very hard on my sisters because he basically neglected them. Um, but it was like very it was hard on me. Mixed, probably a mixed bag for everybody. Yeah, it was not easy for everybody. And, you know, he put so much pressure on me that I had to win. It was basically like I couldn't control if I won or not. But as a junior, it was, it was okay because, um, you know, fighting hard, you know, grinding it out, putting balls on the court makes a big difference Matters, in juniors. Yeah, for sure. But as a pro, you know, you got to be more gutsy. You got to be able to rise up to the occasion, and I think that that hurt me, like having all of that pressure instilled in me and that fear instilled in me as a kid. And one of the reasons why I did do better in doubles because he didn't care about doubles. I mean, obviously, my game kind of suited doubles a bit better. But um, yeah, so at French Open, I remember telling him, and I'm sure this also had a lot to do with the reason why I wanted to co- go to college is because I just was not get away playing. Yeah. 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 And at French Open, I basically said to him, like, I can't work with you anymore. Mm-hmm. I got to the point where I was like, I quit tennis or I quit you. And wow. it was a huge decision for me because yeah. for you. I was it under the thumb. It must have been so tough. It was hard, but I was like at my wit's end. Yeah. I just could not do it anymore. And that's actually when I started working with Ray because right. at Wimbledon, he was floating with some of the U.S. girls and um, kindly, because Ray was always that type of person that's, you know, he always invited, he knew me because, you know, even if he was working with some other players, he said, oh, Bonnie, come and join us. He was so, like, trying to give me opportunities to play with better players. You know, that's how I got to play with you and to practice with them, to see what, you know, push me to my limits. And um, so anyway, I started working with Ray at Wimbledon. But I called my parents in London and said, okay, I've made my decision because that was my deadline. And I said, I've made my decision. I'm going to go to college. And my parents said, nope. And it was actually my mom who was the one, because she, my mom was smart. Like, she knew how to, she knew how to, my dad, in a way, because he was so tough, in a way it was helpful because I was able to break away because he was Mm -hmm. so tough. My mom was like, no, Vanya, you know, you're going to regret this. Look Mm -hmm. how well you're doing. And I was 17. It was -hmm. was hard for me. I still lived with my parents and um, had all the teenage angst and insecurities and uncertainties and so they basically convinced me not to go to college and to turn pro. So I turned pro at Wimbledon. Um, and I did well with Ray and for about, I would say, like up until the next year, February, we finished. And there was also an issue with my dad. Like he got a uh, confrontation with my dad. He thought my dad was coaching him from behind. And, and I was in the middle of it. And it was, it was hard for me as well. You know, back in the day, you remember, I was just like kind of, very quiet and 
you know, I obviously I had a lot of opinions inside, but I was taught don't say anything, just mm-hmm. obey. And so it was really, that was hard for me. Losing Ray was hard. And years later, I talked to him about it and I said, hey, you know, because he always thought my dad was coaching me from behind. And I think my dad kind of, um, kind of was trying to still maintain control. You know, yeah. he was trying to get some other coaches to yeah, like video like my matches. He was maybe threatened by the fact that he'd Oh, of place, course. Right? Yeah, I mean, actually my dad, um, he said to me at one point, you know, I think that overall he had the best intentions for me, although because I worked with him for so long, I can very clearly say that intentions are not everything. You know, it's, it's not enough. Um, but, you know, he got to the point where he was, his life was so intertwined with mine and, you know, his success was my success that he said to me, I'd rather you fail without me than to work with someone else. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. I can tell you... There's a player on tour to this day that has a father exactly the same way. I think I can. It's very cool. With a real short list. Mm. Well, I mean, people are. I mean, I could probably guess, but um, for and he actually admitted it. My dad, if anything, he's honest. Well, this this person admitted admitted it it to a to a to journalists as well. So I mean, there are people just like that, fathers, and they can't let go. I think this is a pretty common story. What is uncommon for me? hearing you say it and this is I mean I was never talented enough to go beyond getting a scholarship to D1 but for me which is great it's okay (laughs) but but what I what really turned me off from junior tennis was just the idea that kids were getting basically like emotionally manipulated if not worse traumatized then they would turn in well, turn I had a lot of therapy since I was going to say <laughs> well, I don't blame them that's you actually know, how like... I'm get, what I'm getting to but but it made competing against these kids so hard because they were taught to win at all costs yeah. which it tur- in, in turn made them monsters sometimes not all yeah. the time but they're playing from a place of fear they're playing yeah. from a place of anger they know they're going to get screamed punished, at yeah. punished you had dad with a spreadsheet and it's mostly a dad I don't want to say it's never moms but it's mostly a dad yeah. with a clipboard being like you missed 60 percent of the second serve returns into the net we're going to practice that for five hours until your feet bleed Uh, and it's like (laughs) this is horrible and i don't want any part of this you came out the other side i'm assuming you still have a relationship with your parents i do but um, the therapy it's well i mean so but tell tell actually therapy has actually really helped me in the last few years because you know I, i it took a while to kind of come it took a while to um, even 
be able to talk to my parents or to address the issue because for a while I just couldn't. I really actually, I don't remember much from like 13 or 12 to 13 to 19 when I was working with my dad. And um, I think that was just my defense mechanism yeah. where like I was not enjoying a lot of it, which is now I'm trying to get those memories back because I, I want to remember that. You know, yeah. it's part of my I'm life. I'm sure they're all not and all I, bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's very hard because I think it's just, you know, how I coped with it in the past. So that's how therapy has kind of helped me more recently because it took opening, a while. Opening a Pandora's box. Yeah, I mean, it. yeah, I, you can't open it all at once. You got to just no. open a little bit, let some out and then deal with that, you know. But... Um, I mean, look, I know my parents had the best interest for me. Luckily, I mean, look, I know there's a lot of players that have had it worse. I'm not saying that it's justifying or anything, and but we're just, you know, you, we are just kids, and you are very impacted by your parents, um, you say, like, outlook. Their, their outlook, but their, uh, the way that they taught you, like, their rooted behaviors become your rooted yeah. behaviors, you know? So anyways, um, yeah, my dad he just got too into it. And sure. as I said, luckily he was so hard on me that I broke free. Yeah. And we were talking about a relationship with them. So I didn't talk to him for two years. And then, um, I really had to say to myself, um, do I want to have a relationship with him? And you know, there was a period I didn't talk to my mom for a year. Like we're all very stubborn people, if anything. <laughs> so my family is very strong willed. Um, and one thing I would say that was, I was lucky because they never belittled me. Like my dad would be, he would be very upset if I lost, but then he never said, you know, you're worthless. You're worthless. Uh-huh. Your shit. Like, cause I feel like that, that would is have the been worst the thing yeah, that, that you can do to somebody. Cause you're like, I still, my mom, like both of them would say, you know, my dad would say my, my daughter's going to be number one in the world, which is stressful in itself. But yeah. you know, he had high aspirations. You know, my mom yeah. was like, you're a fighter. You're tough. Like it was also frustrating to also hear that. Cause I was like, man, I got to fight through everything, yeah. you know, like, when can I just relax? And no, you can't. Um, so in that part, I was a little bit lucky that at least they gave me that part of the self-confidence. They but, gave you self-esteem in a way. But it was too hard. But it was, it was too, the expectation was, was way too, too much. Yeah. When you get this tennis parent situation, yeah. it's, it's the, if you're going to look at anyone, look at that line from Venus saying it was about the process, yeah, process. it wasn't totally, about it was the results about the long term yeah you know and it was about the long term of, yeah. pro- of of making a tennis player at, at their best not yeah. worrying about the wins and losses and if they lost it was like all right what are we going to get better at it and so, you said something so interesting to me which is I had never really thought about that much before but like junior tennis a lot of times is uh, it's less about risk taking and more about grinding out wins mm, and yeah. and I think that's a big reason that and I is like somebody who likes to serve in volley with a high error rate, but like oh no, it's a junior. Just a like, junior, my coaches were like, "What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Like, get you're you're five five. Like, you shouldn't be serving in volley ever." But I was like, "But that's how I like to play." Yeah. Um, but I do think like you're having to embrace your courage to be a pro athlete, both in terms of the game that you're describing, hitting harder, taking bigger risks, but also like it takes a lot of courage to do what you just described, which is like confronting a situation that you want to get out of especially as a kid and then processing it and kind of coming out the other side of it and and I can't help but think that's probably set you up very well for your, the rest of your life I think so now I think so um you know even making that decision to turn pro that wasn't really my decision so I struggled for a few years because of that decision because I didn't want to I didn't want to turn pro um, I have to agree then, with your mom though I think it was the right decision when you're well, 70 in the world back, 
it, it's the right decision. Well, looking, it was it was not the you know what the ranking. It was it was everything else. I mean, looking back, obviously, I am I am so happy that I ended up playing, and I went through a very difficult period for the first few years, especially after I left Ray or Ray we parted. Um, you know, I. I now is kind of stuck because I was under my dad's thumb for so long. And then I had Ray, who was kind of this breath of fresh air, who really helped me develop my game. Um, And now he was gone, and now I didn't know where to go because I was still living with my parents. That's young. Especially, you know, I was was raised to, you know, I was very sheltered. My parents, you know, were were quite controlling of my decisions. And um, so I was kind of, I was, you know, I was very lost. I didn't know, I was like, now I'm playing and I don't want to be playing I don't know what to do with my game. I don't know how to find a coach. I obviously don't want to go back to my dad, um, but I'm still living with my parents, not talking to my dad while I'm at home, which is was weird. Um, and and my game suffered, so I had to become I had to basically become like a professional when I had never been one before because I was always just told what to do. Of, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was a and also all of my friends were in college and having this life that I thought that I wanted, you know. Um, so that was, it took me two years, uh, basically bottom of the ropes. Um, well, also, you know, I reached out at that same time to like USTA and, and now USTA and I are fine. Um, and I'm actually on the board now, but, you know, hopefully being able to utilize my experiences and other players' experiences to help. Um, but, you know, at that time, they were like, nope, we can't help you. We can't help you. They gave me kind of unrealistic conditions. Like, you have to train with us for 20 weeks of the year, which is impossible. You know, I was home maybe five weeks of the year. And if you are working with us, then we'll just bounce you around to whoever's there. Hmm. And it was basically like a slap in the face. Like, we have to offer you something, but we know you can't accept this offer. So yeah, I was really, you know, at the lowest. Um, and then I saw one of... A coach. So one of the things that my dad did really great is there's a lot of great um, former players and coaches in the SoCal area. The goal was to learn as much as he could. Mm-hmm. Tariq Benhabilas is a French Algerian coach um, who took Roddick from juniors to number two in the world. I felt like he understood me as a player. He was a player himself. Not saying that because he was a player, he was you know apathetic, but it helps. You know, you understand what players go through and. Because um, my dad was so hard on me. He was the first person to be like, okay, today we're going to work hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, today you look like you're a little yeah. let down. We're going to back off a little bit. Let's do something different. Which you know? is very important for coaches to understand. Yeah, not many, I mean, not all coaches do that. You know, not all coaches are I think it's receptive. important for coaches to um, know when to push and know when to pull back. And yes, but that, not many do. Yeah, and I mean, that, I mean, that's a bad choice from them. Because you've got to know the person, right? Yeah. So as a coach, you have to know, is my player a self-motivator? Is my player a hard worker? Yeah. And if you know those things and they are looking tired or they're a little bit sore, or they're a little bit this, yeah. that's when you have to pull back. Yeah. If you know your player is a little bit of a bullshitter yeah. and a little bit of a whiner, yeah. you've got to constantly push them. Yeah. So you've got to know your player. And you, for example, would have been somebody, if you look tired, to pull back. Yeah. Right? That's what you – any coach out there that listens to this pod – you have to know that about your individual player. Yeah, I mean, and I would say that in general, most of the coaches that I worked with did not have that, you know, sense of to be flexible to their players' uh, K 
capabilities of that day. But don't you think that that's also important because that's a trust value that when you are maybe not sort of pushing yourself and they push you, yeah, of course, you know it's for the best. Whereas yeah. if they can pull back, you know, okay, yeah. sometimes you need to pull back. Yeah. I mean, I deal with that all the time with some players that I work with. It is it is like a, a breach of trust, you know, if they don't if they're doing something that you don't feel comfortable with, and then it ends, it will end up backfiring. You know, you lose motivation yeah. and you get hurt. Um, so, you know, you do lose that confidence in the relationship. And if you don't have confidence, 100% confidence in yep. your coach, you cannot be working with them, you yep. know, because it's, as you know, it's it's so hard. But know. when I was with yeah. Ray, you know, Ray was very chill, but he was very confident that I must do it, you know, a certain way. So I remember him saying, you're going to do this. I don't care if you double fault a thousand times. I remember I played a series of three events in Asia and we worked really hard on my serve. We worked really hard on my kick serve which after I stopped with Ray, I went to, back to the slicer. Um, so, and the first tournament I remember I had, like on average, because we looked at, you know, how many, how many double faults and versus aces have you, do you have on average, you know, for certain percentage and um, stuff like that. And I started at like 12 to 15 double faults in that first tournament on average. And I remember losing second round. He said, I don't care. You're going to keep it. Keep going. You're going to keep going for that serve, that kick serve, going to go for it and go for it. Because he was also like, not just go for it and aim big targets. He was like, no, that kick serve has to hit in the super wide corner and really curve off and mm-hmm. get that person off the court. Remember, he was like, it's got to pass the alley. It's got to go yeah. into the fence. It's got to touch that side fence. And I was like, oh, it's not just putting that serve in like yeah. heavy, but it's, you know. But I mean, and, again, like you're saying stuff that is so important for people to hear, right? As Especially as a 17-year-old, which is when you started working with him. That's the time to change it. Like I look at some of these, some of the girls that are playing on tour now, and I said on Twitter the other day, you're only as good as your second serve. And I see so many players lose matches because they just have a terrible second serve. Yeah. And they have a big first serve. And then they have a very, very predictable second serve. Yeah. And what's the most important? What is the best shot most of the time on the WTA tour? It's women's Return. returns of yeah. serve. So if you're not getting your player off the court, there's a reason why Ash Barty, who is, by the way, only like 5'7 on a good day, <laughs> okay, can hit an unbelievable kick serve and hit a second serve because she's worked on it and worked on it. Yeah. I mean, some of the great young you know, Justine and I, look, there are players that are five, 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 yeah. six that have great second serves. Well, the lesson I'm taking from that is is less its applicability to the current tour, although obviously that's there's very real examples of that, but also just more like how having somebody believe in you and mm-hmm. give you the the yeah, no, totally. repeated affirmation. Like, yeah. I know you're going to double fault a lot, and yeah. I don't care because yeah, this is going right to click, thing. and we're doing the right thing. Like, I played a lot of doubles. It was my better event. And I remember telling a lot of the singles players I would play with, keep crossing. I don't care if you miss. Just go for it, go for it, go for it. Because yeah. I want to impress upon our opponents that we're always yeah. going to be looking across. And even if you miss it, like, yeah. and eventually they get over it, and, yeah. like, they start making it. But it's yeah. the same concept, which is, like, process over results. Yes. Yeah, Once I mean, the process kicks in, you will have the results, but you can't without the process. Yeah, and that's, I mean, such I, a, that's applicable to literally everything in life. Yeah, I, I, I still, you know, the Ray, Ray's directives that he gave me, like, return down the line right away, you know, um, serve and volley early or at 30, 40, you know, he, I, I still remember a lot of his directives. And again, I, if it wasn't for him, I would definitely not have had the success I had um, in general. I had two great coaches that really believed in me. But um, yeah, so... That first slam 
It was, uh, I played with Slava, Yaroslava Shvedova. We had only played two tournaments together because I was actually set that year with Annalena Gronefeld. And Anna got hurt at Indian Wells. She had a stress fracture in her foot. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, okay, I'm going to be out for a couple of months. And then, so I sat with uh, Monica Nikolescu, who's a good friend of mine. I mean, they're all, they're all good friends of mine. Um, at French Open and then at Wimbledon, you know, girls start finding partners early. And I said, and Anna's like, well, I hope you can wait for me, but I'm not really sure. I'm not 100%. I said, you know, and I, I really got to find somebody. It's Wimbledon, you know, like, it's getting I'm late. I'm going to win this tournament. I need well, to win this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and Slava and I had, I knew Slava from juniors. And we kind of bonded. We weren't like close friends or anything, but we bonded. And her English wasn't great, especially in juniors, you know. But we bonded because we both had fathers that were yeah. there and very tough on us. And, we, you know, there was that connection. You just understood each other. Because yeah. um, we understood suffering of a overbearing father. Um, and then on tour, I remember asking her, there was a couple of players that I wanted to play with that, like you, you know, you saw potential in certain partners yeah. um, and then for me you know she was somebody that I saw potential and that I think we can match well together yeah. um, and then this opportunity came up because I needed a partner partner for Wimbledon so we just set for those three events uh, sorry the two warm-ups which was Birmingham uh, Hertogenbosch and then Wimbledon um, so in Birmingham we lost in the semis we lost to Bethany and Liesel and we got handily beaten like four and one um, her token Bosch, we lost in the finals to Rodionova and somebody. So, I mean, to be honest, like the caliber of players that we were losing to, and plus we handily got beaten by Bethany and Liesel, I was like, eh, you know. Maybe we're not. We need enough. to, well, I mean, I had never obviously won a slam before, but I, you know, we weren't like, oh my God, we're going to go win Wimbledon. <laughs> um, however, we did joke that, okay, now we played semis, finals, okay, and we should win the next one. Haha, <laughs> yeah, of course, you know. Jokingly, um, yeah. Slava did have her racket stolen what? in her Togenbosch, like at the train station. <laughs> so she had to buy. No way. This is how Slava works best, anyways. Is whatever. Whatever. Yeah. To be super relaxed, she plays the best. She can be the best player in the world. Um, Slava, I always felt like if she, if it weren't for injuries and a bit of nerves, um, I always felt like she was top ten. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, but she did struggle with a lot of injuries and. Um, so yeah, she, she was using two generic rackets that she bought at a shop. Um, I was on antibiotics cause I had sinusitis. I had bronchitis early in the year. It was, I was on like my fourth course of antibiotics by that time, <laughs> like of that year. So just feeling really sorry for myself and not really being able to. Yeah. It's like the fit. bad news bears. You're not. Yeah. I mean, so no, people have to understand you don't just go buy a generic, generic racket. I mean, you no. got, we get a racket. She like had a customized pers- racket. Perfectly yeah. customized and weighted yeah. and strung. Yeah. And here's Slava yeah. walking yeah. out with a target. She's just so talented. She's so talented that, you know, she could do it for me. I'm like, oh my gosh, my racket in the match drops like one pound and I freak out, you know, yeah. I need a new racket. But then also I only played with one racket. The racket that I won with, I just kept that racket the whole time. So God forbid. You're I the only that person racket. that wouldn't break a string though. There's <laughs> not a lot of spin coming off that I used, I'm on antibiotics. Slava is, you know, using generic rackets. It's the World Cup. So obviously we have like low expectations. We're just going to go out and have fun because we're, you know, circumstances and it was the world cup so we go every night to the pub and watch the world cup you know the first two matches we thought okay you know like our caliber at that point of who we've beaten probably like one or two matches so however we played monica nikolescu and shahar here in the second round it was a three and a half hour match 
I mean, it was tough. Like, we somehow got through that match. And then in the third round, we played Sam and Nadia Petrova, and we're like, we're going to lose. Like, I'd never beaten Nadia before in doubles. Um, and for some reason, we get on the court, and Nadia's in a bad mood. <laughs> but, like, really bad mood. Okay, I mean, I know she could be in a bad mood, but, like, really bad mood. Like, she threw her racket in a warm-up. In what? the warm-up, threw her racket. Uh, another, good, like, another good thing to tell your kids. Don't show any emotion that's negative because it yeah. can lose you a match. Yeah, don't yeah. worry. Some other how finals of the French Open. Anyway, go on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was like, oh, so maybe we've got a shot because yeah. something's bothering her. I don't. And then you know, Sam is. Sam doesn't Sam, show a lot of emotion. She doesn't, but if her partner is like super stressed out, it manifests in Sam because she's totally a little bit, you know, yeah. more tight. Anyways, so obviously then Nadia can be very intense and if she's angry then you're kind of scared and so then Sam started not playing great so they just played a really horrible match and then we won like I think kind of straight sets fairly easily and I'm like oh my god you know and then we played um I think in the quarters that's the quarters now we played Serbotnik Peshke who were the number one team in the world at the time and again we're like eh no chance yeah no chance they're super solid um I remember uh, so we lost the first set I mean with a break but solidly losing the first set we're down a break in the second I think we're down a set in like 5-2 or 5-3 we're down a break and I'm like you know in my head can I curse? I'm just yeah, like, please oh we curse yeah. all yeah. the time oh, okay. I'm surprised we haven't cursed yet <laughs> so literally in my head I'm like fuck it I'm gonna hit every return as hard as I can nice literally hurt every turn and I was in the zone the semis we play Bethany and Liesl and we had just lost to them two weeks before, um, very handily. Like, they just beat us because they were better. And But now, you know, we've had a few matches. Like, confidence, and we're playing. We've had more matches together. We know each other's games better. And um, so, <laughs> um, Liesl, you know, was notorious in, like, trying to get into your head. Um, and... <laughs> And I told Slava before the match, I'm like, we're not letting her get into our head because, you know, we're out. We're, we're going to go guns blazing. Like, and no matter what happens, we're going to go guns blazing. We're just going to not back down. We're not going to back down. I just want to note for the listenership right now, Renee has gone very quiet. Oh, that's I, all, that's I, all we're yeah, No, I'm loving nothing. this spot. Please go Well, on. I mean, you know, she was an incredibly tough competitor, obviously, and very successful. But um, she was also, you know... She also, that's one of her tactics was, you know, to be feisty on the court and get into your head. And so I was like, we're not having this. We're not going to. And it was also like a little bit of intimidation. And I was like, we're not going to, we're not going to be intimidated. We're not backing down. So we went guns a blazing and like just wailed on every single ball, did not back down physically and mentally. And we won that match like two and two. Wow. Um, I remember Slava going up and like, they tried to lob her, and Slava's like eight foot ten, and you know, so athletic, running backwards. It, the lob would have landed like two feet in front of the baseline, but she's there, you know, jumping up in the air like six feet and hitting the ball as hard as she can and screaming at me, "Come on!" And yeah, I mean, it was it was intense, but that's what we had to do, you know, like yeah. to play the best players, you have to yeah, be you have to believe one hundred percent, and you have to take it to them. You have yeah. to take it to them. Yeah. Um, and then in the finals, so in the other semis, Serena and Venus were in the draw and, or maybe they were in the quarters and lost, but they lost to Vesnina and 
Zvonareva, um, who Zvonareva... They never lost when I was bloody in the draw. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was very unusual because we thought for sure, you know, yeah. it was like the first time losing yeah. ever. Before, like, a, before final. a final yeah. or something like that. And, um, you know, Elena and, and Vera are incredibly talented players yeah. as well. So obviously, like, yeah, they took it to them. Yeah, you're an easy draw at this yeah. moment, but, but the, the, Yeah, the I mean... We played them in the finals, but they had never been in the finals before. Yeah, so they and were, so we all and so all I, four of you were nervous. Yeah, and I'm positive if we played you or you know Venus and Serena who had already been in the finals, like yeah, it wouldn't have it would have been different, yeah. you know, yeah. because it's it no, makes a difference. There's no stress like Grand Slam final stress. Oh my God, you know, there was the only time I've ever dreamed about tennis was before the three times I played a Grand Slam final. And sadly for me, all of those dreams ended with me winning, and then I wake up, and I'm like, shit, I haven't played yet. <laughs> <laughs> so it's horrible, but it's horrible because it's so str- you know. Well, the good news is you oh won God. two of them. Yeah, so it obviously that's was true, a good but moment. I did lose one of them. Well, um, and that was that was heartbreaking. Um, two out of three ain't bad, as That's they true, say. that's you know true. I mean? Yeah, um, that one you lost, that was a... Um, I did block I'm going to blame them. that on your partner. As much um, as I love Slava, that was her fault. Well, you know, I was also nervous, and I did not, like, um, support her as much as I needed to, let's say, you know? But I needed to step it up, and I couldn't do it as much as I needed to. That is a very kind, diplomatic, and empathetic thing to say. But But it's true. It's also true, because you have to understand where... Like, it's the same as me saying about coaches need to understand their players. If the ones that are motivated, self-motivated, are the ones that maybe overdo it, maybe over-push themselves, when to pull them back, the ones that are lazy, when to push them. And you also have to know your partner. And one of the conversations I always had with my partners before Grand Slam Finals was, how are you feeling today? Yeah. You know, and be honest. And I would Mm -hmm. would say, I'm... I'm feeling really nervous today. Yeah. And there were some days where it's like, I feel really good today. Like I'm yeah. really, fu- mm-hmm. you're always nervous, but there's a level of nerves, Yeah, you know? And I think it's super important for partners to say, I actually feel really good. I mean, there were times where Lisa would say, I'm super nervous. I'm like, oh my God, I, f- I feel good. I'm so, oh, okay. you know, or she'd say, I feel good. I'm, yeah. I'm super nervous. And then there was mm-hmm. one time where we were like, I'm super nervous. Yeah, I'm super nervous. I was like, oh, <laughs> what are we going to do now? I mean, but at but least you're important. like together, you know, so then you kind of just say, look, let's just, start strong or try your best or you know yeah. at least you know i mean what would you have changed though in that tie break in the, in know. that match i tried everything that's the but, thing but was... talking to her what would you have changed to be as you said more supportive i tried everything Did so you... that was like the the only thing i could have done i felt um the cuz i tried every, i tried i tried being tough you know for it's for me i was always the one that was like the supporter on the court you mm-hmm. know like trying to lift her up trying to lift her up and um, but you know, obviously trying to deal with my own nerves and sure, trying yeah. to prop her up. And I, I always start with like, I'm always, I feel like I want to be very positive on the court cause I play my best when I'm relaxed and I'm positive. And that's always my go-to. So it started with that, you know, don't worry about it. Go for it. Go for it. You know, it was, um, like I still remember the kick first serve in the middle of the court and to Lisa's backhand. And I'm like, what do I like? I, I want, I need to go, but then she's also not, she's also a great player that she, you know, if she sees me going, then she, she has enough time to. So, um, you know, then I tried the tough love. Then I tried, you know, um, like, okay, let's just like do some breathing exercises. Or then I, you know, try to like, okay, let's pump ourselves up, you know, like slap yourself in the, in yeah. the thigh and scream, come on. You know, I tried everything that I could think of at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, and, 
honestly like nothing worked yeah so that's why i remember feeling in the third set of that match um i felt like we lost six out but then i talked to lisa like three years later and she goes no no seven six and i'm like oh i felt like it was a washout because i just knew that you couldn't only get one chance yeah. and we actually had two we were up you, she was serving uh, she was serving up um a set and a break and then in we had a little mini break in the super, in the tie break yeah. and then i just was like if we get to that point again, if she can't step it up, or like if we can't step it up together, then we're gonna lose. And so I just felt like it was over. Hmm. When it was, you know, after the second set, I was like, it's over. Even yeah. though it was seven, six, and third. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think as well that um, looking back, I mean, I was also judging her on my expectations, like, you got to keep trying things. You got to, you know, and I also didn't realize. So Slava's a player that one of the, like the way that stress manifests to her and some, now I'm recognizing this in some players is that it looks like she's not trying. Yeah. And I didn't realize that that's just um, a result of her stress and it's not her not trying. She's like, and I'm down. like, yeah. And she just shuts down. And, and for me, I don't work with, like, I don't understand that. Cause I'm just like, go, 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 go. Yeah. Change it. Try it. Try it. Try it. Try it. Like for me, it's how Lisa is. Yes. I mean, I love, yeah, I love playing with Lisa. I mean, we were on the same wavelength. The only thing is that our games were not as obviously like yeah. fitting as yours did with hers and mine did with yours. But, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I just, I think looking back now, I don't know if only I could have been a bit more understanding or, but I mean, at the moment, like I tried everything that I could think of. Um, and the only thing that I could have done that I don't regret it because I've also had my own stresses, but I needed to step up more. I needed to be, um, I needed to take more charge of the points, hmm. but I was also like, I, I tried, but I, I didn't do it. To yeah, what it I was going to do. out of your comfort zone. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I tried to go out of my comfort zone, but I needed it wasn't enough. Yeah, you know, I needed to do more. Yeah. Um, well, I think so I needed actually... to like figure out a way to because also like Slava was going into patterns when she gets nervous, she goes into patterns, yeah. and I I should have, if anything, I should have said no. Let's break out. Like we must. Well, I don't because know. Great teams, I don't know because great teams, because great teams also know someone's pattern under pressure. Yeah, exactly. And so they yeah. can they can exploit that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. So they knew exactly what was coming under pressure. Yeah. And again, no pressure like Grand Slam final pressure. So, yeah. speaking about somebody um, who's aggressive, tell me uh, what it was like to face off against Justin Gamelstab, who um, <laughs> who only won one Grand Slam on the back of Venus Williams, but will let never let oh. anybody forget <laughs> about. The fact that he won a Grand Slam championship. Oh, because um, he always strikes me as one of the fans. Yeah, he always struck me as one of the more um, maniacal players out there on the tour. Maniacal. Um, well, the I'll just say that the first time I met him, so he was coached by Elliot Telcher, uh, who actually coached my brother, and I'm good friends with Elliot, and Elliot's always been really nice to me. And I was um, 16. I got a wild card into mixed. Um, Playing with Vince Spadia, who Open? ain't afraid of you. Yeah. At the US Open. <laughs> who was Vince Spadia, who ain't afraid of you. And he had a hat with his logo on and signing his book on the side of the court. And I'm kind of... I was 16. I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. You know, Vincenzo. <laughs> We're playing the semifinals. Um, it's my first time playing mixed. It's my first time being in a semis. We're playing against Megan Shaughnessy, a great American player. Again, And she's playing with Justin... Um, 
And we're in the second set, and Justin gets a ball. Um, I think, like, you know, Vince, I don't know, flubbed a ball, and it was two feet in front of the net, a high ball. And Justin, I'm at the net, Justin's at the net, he lets the ball bounce, and I see murder in his eyes. And I've never run off the court in my professional career, except this one time. I literally, ran, I saw he was going to kill me. And I ran off the court, um, and he missed it, trying to hit me. But he would rather miss by hitting, trying to hit He was you. trying to hit me so bad that he missed it. And I was... Again, I was so young. I was just shocked. Like, like you, a 16-year-old. I was 16, like 100 yeah. pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, not... Anyways, d that doesn't mean anything in terms of, like, why are you trying to hit somebody? Um, <laughs> you know, and I was just so confused. Everything was so new, and I was like, what is wrong with him? And I remember Elliot, because I was friends with Elliot, asked him, apparently asked him, like, Justin, why did you do that? Like, she's 16, um, and he goes, I just hate Vince so much. And I was like, I said, like then hit Vince. I'm like, then hit Vince. Yeah. <laughs> like take that ball and yeah. miss it. Trying to hit Vince yeah. in the face, not trying to hit me in the face. Oh my gosh. So well, I have never that, forgotten that. Well, you know, it was a, an, a memorable moment. I brought it up just in the context of like therapy being good for everyone. Oh, and yeah. It seems like that when you told me that story, I thought, ah, no, that's You know, he never candidate. apologized. Oh, that's, that's such a shock. So, oh, <laughs> Not that I expected an apology based upon the experience itself, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, it was not one of my better experiences with other players. Then. Well, listen, yeah. you, you stuck it out. You had a great 15 year career, grand slams to, to, to take away. And you've got all these life lessons to me. What's yeah. so interesting talking to you is just how much you've processed all of this. You know, now that I know a few of these and professional athletes, but it's, it's, <laughs> and it might be good for tennis or it might not be, but I definitely think it's good for life because I think a lot of people have a hard time decompressing and shifting into their next thing yeah. because they're used to being one mode and you've been in your head a long time. But <laughs> yes. on the other hand, now that you're out in the, you're let loose in the world, yeah. what does that mean that you're going to look to do? Obviously your work with Serving Up Hope, obviously your work being on the USDA board. Yeah. You know, I'm just sort of curious. What are you about now, and how does that yeah. next couple of years look for you? Um, so for me, I want, and in general, I wanted and I want to find something that's fulfilling. You know, tennis is so mentally engaging. Um, probably I don't want to find something as physically engaging as it, but mentally, you know, you're in the moment, you forget time, you just do what you got to do, and that's what I wanted to find after tennis. And I, it, you know, in the process of realizing that I was going down the path of retirement, I was also trying to find something that was fulfilling. And it wasn't easy. I didn't really know for a little while what I wanted to do. Um, I also work part-time for WTA Charities, so the charitable arm of WTA. Uh, it is separate from WTA, so I feel like I can make a difference there. Mm -hmm. um, and the goal is obviously to make a difference there. And, and I love the fact, like, right, so I got involved, uh, I got to know... The, the woman who heads WTA Charities, her name's Anne Austin. And, she's um, awesome. She's, yeah, she's super sweet. And I actually did a master's in nonprofit management, and we were classmates, and we did some projects together. So that's how I kind of got to know her. Um, and then I, I actually reached out to her, and I, I realized I had an epiphany. I was like, oh, I would love to work for you or with you, you know, getting players engaged. Basically, how much 
the charitable side has helped me as a person, you know, um, not just from the mental health, but the growing and all the experiences it's given me. I would love to be able to get other players involved, you know, in whatever that they, you know, not obviously with what I'm doing specifically, but just helping, helping them, them figure to, out if yeah, they want to do a non Yeah, exactly. Themselves. And actually, I mean, especially during COVID, we had a great response. I mean, a lot of players were giving back, you know, um, whether that's like mentoring Zoom calls or, mm-hmm. you know, giving out masks or, you know, um, bringing supplies, uh, bringing like coffees. I know uh, Carolina did that. And so, you know, I think that players want to get involved. Um, they just haven't been able to have an easy enough platform to mm-hmm. do it, you know, because again, it is so difficult. You don't have much time at all. You can't be approaching players at tournaments and saying, hey, we need this, this, and this. You know, they're just focused on a tournament. Finding them at the right time with, um, uh, a cause that is meaningful to them. I mean, like player engagement is one that I really love getting involved in. And then I did, um, I'm now on the USTA board and I applied for that um, originally because, you know, I, I want to make a difference, but I, you know, I've had a tumultuous relationship with the USTA as many players have. Um, so I didn't really know what to expect going into it. And it's honestly it's been a really great learning experience um, kind of getting to know the, organizational aspect a very large organization um, kind of how they manage everything and and all the difficulties and the challenges that I didn't realize as a player that they face mm-hmm. especially um, after COVID yeah definitely and why running US Open was such a big deal yeah. for yeah. them yeah. Um, and all for, for all the slams and then you know with my own nonprofit. so I, I really obviously I'm very passionate about doing things on the ground and really seeing that we're making a difference on the ground and we can see that um, and right now I really like that um, kind of the lens like I've got three different lenses but in the same sphere of tennis and mm-hmm. working with development because mm-hmm. I've got you know the high level organizational side I've got the player like high level but player engagement and then got grassroots so right now I really enjoy that so hopefully I'll be able to continue that I put a like right now I paused it because I had this you know two month last hurrah of playing tournaments um paused kind of my work there but now back into a lot of my work is going into serving up hope right now really trying to grow the organization um and hoping people will get involved and you know want to reach out and we'd love to get more people involved in that as well how can um, they find you if they want to if they're listening to this and thinking like oh this is great i want to lean forward and, and help is what's is going to the website sending yeah you know, so what's the best way to i do mean that? i've been pretty much like CEO and all staff combined. So um, mm-hmm. if you reach out to our website or if you reach out to social media, I mean, you, you will get me actually. So I'm the one that's responding to all of that. Um, you know, we have been collecting equipment. We've got a lot of people that have been donating equipment. Um, we are starting a STEM program in Uganda. So even collecting like old computers and tablets. Um, also starting a mentorship program. So that's how other you know people can also get involved with our with our kids um and you know obviously if you want to donate we we do need finances to keep running so that would be greatly appreciated i i hate like soliciting for money but um we are doing something good i think yeah uh so you know would definitely love to get people involved and however they'd like to get involved well promise us you will come back on the show uh and maybe as soon as the summer when you're doing it in la but tell us how it's going and keep us yeah for sure because we need people like you to make change in every way. Uh, talk about the USDA. Like, there's lots of places, and I think somebody as thoughtful and empathetic as you can have a giant, giant impact. I hope so. Yes. Um, thanks. 
Banya, for <laughs> joining us, and uh, we're going to get out all that, that that info to everybody on our on our website and on the pod. And we just wish you good luck. We oh, know I know you. that you've had a, a very interesting life so far, and all those lessons are going to be taught to the young kids of the world. And we're going to make them not only better players, tennis players, but better people thanks to you. So oh, thanks for joining us. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.